thoughts and how to think about talking to people, uh, people we care about, our friends or family. Lord, you know every distinctive individual situation, and you know how hard the situation is or how easy it is or whatever. I pray, Father, that you would give to each person who hears a special uh, portion of your grace and your spirit so that they would know the words to say and that they would be able to help that person hear and understand the gospel. In some mysterious way, you use us as means to help other people understand your gospel, and I pray, Father, that you would use that to great effect, that our words would not be wasted, but, Father, that you would bring back a harvest and that we could see the fruits of our own labor in our own lifetime. Pray, Father, now that as uh, I teach this lesson, that you would help me be focused and not be distracted. Pray for that for the hearers as well. And I pray, Father, that we would be focused wholly on worshiping you and glorifying you and seeing what ways in our own lives we can make changes to do that. Thank you for all the good things that you've given us. Forgive us our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is an interesting class because, uh, you know, we're going through the fear of God, or I should say the fear of man is the name of the class. And we talked about the fear of man, and then we talked about that the solution to fear, the fear of man that we have, is the fear of the Lord. And those are great as concepts, and you know, as you read the Bible, you understand what the fear of the Lord is, and fearing God is a good thing. So we cultivate that. But then we have to also ask ourselves, okay, now that I'm trying to learn how to fear the Lord, what's the next step? Uh, I'm following a curriculum. If you guys want to go into greater detail, it's obviously different than what I'm teaching. I just use it as a kind of as a framework. Um, it's called, uh, it's on, from Capitol Hill Baptist, and they have this curriculum where they have these kinds of beats. So it's great because then I don't have to make everything from scratch. But this is a class where I actually kept their outline because I didn't really know how to frame this in a better way than what they've done. Not that I necessarily agree with all the kinds of fear that it's talking about, but I do think that it's a good way at least to start the conversation about thinking about your own mind and what you're thinking about. So the way that I thought of it was this. Uh, in philosophy, if I can use that term, it's kind of scary to start a Bible study with philosophy, but uh, one of the things that you, you've probably heard that is on the Greek Parthenon, or it was something called, it said, know thyself, right? You've probably heard that before, right? And the idea that the Greeks had where they wanted to be introspective and actually think, what animates me? What, what controls me? Why am I doing things that I'm doing? Um, there's a great book by Jonathan Edwards called Freedom of the Will, and he talks about this too. He says, okay, every person thinks that you're just floating in this void, right? Your mind is completely neutral, and you're making these choices without any motivation. And he says, no, there's tons of motivation in your life. You know, the thing that's the most mysterious to the human condition, or I should say, when we think about what it means to be human, the most mysterious thing is your desire. What is that animating desire inside of you? Because whatever you choose to do is what you desire, right? You can't go any further down deeper than that. And it kind of gets metaphysical. But think of it this way, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, no matter where you're at, how, how many worries you have or how many bills you have to pay, if you get really hungry, that desire is going to override everything else you have, right? You're going to be like, okay, I'm going to go eat first and then I'm going to worry, <laughs> right? Or if that hunger, the desire is strong enough, like say you've just worked out and you're like ravenous, uh, people will tell you you need a meal prep because you won't have time to make a meal when you're ravenous. You'll go and you'll buy junk food or you'll do something else and you'll eat that and then you'll feel bad about it and then there'll be a cycle of, you know, that kind of stuff. 
and I, I posed this question to a friend, and I said, you know, that's the deepest thing. And he's like, what if I just choose to starve, right? Like, I, I, I'm like, I'm going to wrestle my will. I'm like, oh, I'm so hungry, but I'm going to do the right thing. I'm like, well, then your desire for self-control is greater than your desire for hunger, right? It goes further down the rabbit hole, right? And if, you're, and if all you're going to do is exercise self-control around other people, then your desire is for other people to see you as self-controlled more than you are self-controlled. You see how it, it keeps going. So that's the thing that it kind of becomes mysterious because we were saying, okay, how do I change my desire, right? We know from the Bible that only God can change your heart, right? Only he can change your desires. Only, that's why we pray, Lord, change this. Lord, I have unbelief, but, but I believe, help me in my unbelief, right? That's where all those prayers come from. Even though they didn't have the framework, they didn't have all these books of philosophy to help them understand, even they instinctively understood this problem. So the question here that we're, we're talking about with kinds of fear is, the reason why we don't talk to people about the gospel, the reason why we don't tell them that, or at least broach the subject, subject is because various kinds of fears are stronger than our desire to preach the gospel, right? Our fear of man is greater than our fear of God. And unless we start thinking about what is the motivating thing that's motivating me to not talk about it, right? What's that fear? Then I will never be able to change it. I'll never be able to work on it. Because we do believe that we can pray about it. We can work on it. We can, we can be self-controlled. There are so many passages in the New Testament that talk about being sober, self-controlled, right? And the reason why is because the Bible makes it clear we can modify our behavior in terms of exercising self-control. So what we need to do is we need to identify first what are these kinds of fears we have. And this is going to be a very practical application because this is something each one of you has to do. I can't say, well, I know you and your fear is this and you know, so on and so forth. So just think with me in this, in this lesson about what these fears are so that way we can start to work on them individually in our own lives, right? If there's someone you know that you should talk to and you're not talking to them about Jesus, the question is why? And it's probably motivated by fear, right? We, we don't want to lose something. But before we start, the, the thing I wanted to comfort you with is this in Luke 18, where Christ says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So that's the thing we have to remember, right? It, it might be impossible with men, um, but it is possible with God. So the first uh, fear of man we'll consider today is, I think, the biggest one, which is the fear that others will expose something in us, right? So an example would be uh, if there's some kind of, I don't know, some kind of pride event or something at your work, right? And they want you to say or do something. And it's easier just to say nothing, just kind of like not say anything because you don't want to be exposed, right? As, as a person who holds a not popular viewpoint in the, the current society. Um, praise God, if you don't have a, if you have a, a work environment like mine that just leaves everything exterior, exterior, they don't talk about anything exterior, so it's great. Uh, but that said, I do have a, a fear in the back of my mind that I'm like, how, how will this spin out, right? If, if they decide to become super, you know, uh, diversity, inclusion, all that stuff, and they want us to do classes or something that I have to like stand up against, right? So that was something I think that we were told 10 years back was a slippery slope type of thing. It would never happen, blah, blah, blah. Now here, here we are. So I can see people's fears becoming greater than they are. And this is the difficulty too of talking about fear, right? It's because fear can be exaggerated in our minds. It's not really what it's going to happen. Or it could be 
rational, and that's really what's going to happen, right? We kind of, we're not taken over by fear, but we know the cost of the thing that we're going to choose. But the, this fundamental way in which we fear other people, this struggle we trace all the way back to Genesis 3, right? The fall of the human race. When we see Adam and Eve sin, they feel exposed, they feel shame, they know their nakedness is how the Bible describes it, and they go and they hide from God, right? So they are afraid of being exposed. They think even by seeing them, which this is true, God's going to know that they've sinned. So they hide. And this fundamental sin nature, this fundamental flaw or feature of being human is now part of who we are. So even though we as Christians understand this, we also recognize it's not the way we were meant to be, right? The Adam and Eve did, did not have the shame when they, when they, uh, when they were first created. It came as a, as a consequence of sin. So the question is, what do I fear most, or what do I most fear other people finding out about me, right? What do I fear the most? So the three that they, that, uh, the, f- the way that we're going to break this down, you'll see it's number two, is exposure, rejection, and harm are the three. So we're on exposure. And so we have this, what, what are they going to expose about me? Next, we, we fear rejection, right? That uh, when, when we're talking to someone, we're making these rapid calculations, like if I say this, will they not be my friend anymore? If I say this, are they going to be mad at me? And it doesn't even have to be about the gospel. It can be about anything, right? We fear all kinds of things, right? If I say this, is it going to set them off? Oh, they seem kind of, you know, like they're, they're in a bad mood. You know, we're constantly thinking, do I tell the truth? How do I craft this in a way they'll accept it, right? But we're constantly being afraid and modifying our behavior based on rejection. Rejection of a spouse, rejection of a friend, rejection of the group, right? Because we are social creatures. So in a way, we are afraid of rejection, from the group as well. And third and finally is the fear of harm. Uh, you know, that can be related to the other two and it can have its own thing. It can be um, both physical and non-physical. Um, it, it, you know, it comes in different ways. It's different for each person. But in the same way that uh, I, I heard someone say this really well, they said, if you're in a city at night, two in the morning, and you're walking down a street that doesn't have any, like, uh, lights, you know, so it's very dim. In a sense, if someone attacks you and robs you, they're the ones that sinned. But you're also very unwise for doing that, right? Like, there's a sense in which you should not have been out. Now, maybe there was some, some situation that you were supposed to be, or you couldn't, couldn't get away from it, but there is wisdom that we have. So these, the fear of harm is both good and bad, right? It's a, it's a survival instinct in one sense, because it makes us not do things. But in the other sense, it can make us uh, kind of buckle under the pressure, because we're afraid of the cost associated with it. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but not, cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. I'm just reminded real quick of another passage. I'm searching it because I'm terrible with addresses. I should really get better at that. Just, uh, not just memorizing the passage, but also where it actually shows up. In Hebrews 12, 4, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. There is a sense in which we give up too easily right, in terms of resisting sin or when we need to say the right thing. 
the, the call of God is high. And he says, you know, if they did these things to me, they will do them to you. Do not be surprised. There's all these warnings throughout the Bible, and yet we are surprised when these things happen to us. So it's a matter of, once again, the balance between fearing man and fearing God. Fear God because all of the promises and the blessings and the inheritance and all of that's wrapped up in that. And that should be the motivating factor, not fear of man. So there's a problem with all three of these forms of fear. A perceived need that we have in our lives trumps our need for God, right? We, we don't fear them, we fear God because we say, well, God can wait later. I need this thing I'm going to get now. And if I don't say the thing they want me to say or do the thing I want them to do, then I'm in trouble. And I'm not saying that I mean, we're obviously preaching to everyone here, including myself, right? We all deal with this. This is more of, once I said, an introspective lesson in which we think about these things. So we want to go through these, each three of these, more in depth and talk about this. But I want you to think about, as we're going through it, what are your fears? Be self-reflective, right? Write down, what am I dealing with? What am I struggling with? If something leaps out to you, Don't ignore it, but rather write it down and pray to the Lord about it. Lord, help me with this specific fear that I have. I know it's something I deal with. Maybe it's someone you need to reach out to another Christian. Help me through this. Be with me when I talk to this person. Um, I found that the reason why, uh, you know, when Jesus sends out the disciples, he sends them two by two. Um, That's obviously the pattern we should uh, replicate because uh, going out to the street by yourself is incredibly difficult. I know some guys that can do it. I can't do it. I need someone there. I need someone to actually... Uh, I can look at and say, okay, if anything happens, uh, you know, Marty's right there. Uh, It's something that this gives me a a comfort. So use whatever comforts, whatever blessings, you know, the Lord has given us the church. So it's something that we should access as uh, gifts and blessings. So any questions before we start about the introduction, about being reflective, anything? No? Okay, let's move on. So all three of these fears stem from a concern that we are really not safe, right? We're not safe from people, not safe from situations, not safe from from, uh, whatever it is, the environment. If people knew who who we really were, they would despise us. That's the fear of exposure, right? Because we all have sin and we all hide that. If people don't accept us, our real value will be seen for what it is. So fear of rejection. We're not worthy of friendship or love or any of those things, right? We're going to get rejected if they knew who we really are with all these issues that we have. Left to ourselves, we will be hurt by others, right? Fear of harm. So unless we do what they want them to do or we hide in certain situations, we're going to be harmed by others. And you'll see that all these are not only a a deception of other people, like meaning that we deceive other people with how we act, but we also deceive ourselves, right? Because we don't want to admit that we are sinners in need of grace, and so we do actually have all of these problems. Instead, we self-deceive ourselves and think we have no issues, right? We craft a personality, and we craft a mask that we can wear that's like, this is my ideal self. Kind of made worse now with social media, right? Because when you see a person's social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and it's always kind of the same thing. They're on vacation. They're happy. They're always smiling. It's like, do you think that's really how they are? right? That's not how they are. And in fact, sometimes when people get real and they post a struggle they're having or their kid is acting up, whatever, and they're like, I need help. You're like, whoa, too much information. Why are you putting that on a public forum, right? So we reinforce this idea that we all have to have this like perfected 
crystalline form of ourselves. It's very toxic, actually. I, 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 would, I would actually encourage you, unless you can use it really God-glorifying, not to be on those things because it just it reinforces self-denial. It reinforces uh, self-deception. Uh, you know, use your own best judgment, uh, but it's something that it just, it's, it's really bad. I, th- I think it's something that, especially with all the fast social medias we have now, TikTok, things like that, it just is all about what you can get for, uh, how did a person say it? They're like, the new currency of the digital age is attention, right? We need attention. We're, craft- we're, we're farming attention. How much attention can I get? You know, uh, which is obviously built up in pride and other things like that. So, point is, we are crafting our own mask, we're crafting our own persona that we then show to the world. Uh, the, of course, that's exhausting, right? Of course, that's stressful. Uh, you're balancing, what have I told this person, right? They talk about, like, your work self versus your home self. You never want to get to that situation. We're trying to be as honest as possible. But the more we're crafted into a, uh, an illusion is based on how much we fear, Now, fear, like I said before, can be considered a good thing if we think about it in the right way. For starters, Scripture describes various ways in which we should seek to please others and gain their approval, which is a common tool we use to avoid exposure, rejection, or harm. So there's a balance here. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs 15.33 says, A desire for honor is not greater than love for others, love for God, and desire to obey Him. Number two, 1 Timothy 3 2 and 7. As much as is required for gospel ministry and proclamation, as Christians, we should seek to have good reputation with outsiders. So there is a sense in which we're motivated to act well, right? We're motivated by the esteem and the people, the way that people see see us, right? Like we call it the testimony, like our testimony to other people. In relation to pleasing and respecting parents and authorities is not only appropriate, but also commanded. And those examples are Exodus 20:12, Proverbs 16:14 through 15, and Titus 2:9. If you're married, it is right to seek to please your spouse. If you are married, or if you become married, this relationship will supersede all others. Right. So the idea here is you're seeking to love and care for your spouse first, and then your family, and then you have circles of influence that branch out from there. But there are commands in the Scripture about that. It is right to deny yourself for the sake of not offending a weaker brother. That's Romans 15, right? So talking about some people think it's okay to eat meat. Other people thought only vegetables were fine in this situation. And Paul tells them, you should deny what you desire if it helps a brother, right? So there is a sense in which we are trying to love others and do things for other people, but we're not doing it in a, in a sense of fear, if, I, if that makes sense. I'm not afraid of my wife, and that's why I do these things for her. Right? I'm not afraid of my brother, which is why I deny myself for the sake of that person, right? I'm doing it because I care about them, but I am modifying my behavior for other people. So that's why I want you to help to help you understand. Beyond all that, fear can keep us safe, as the example I, I gave previously. You avoid harm. If you fear for your safety, you, you're you fear for the safety of someone else that's with you, right? You're saying, oh, let's not go down that alleyway. Let's stick to the lit, lit streets, uh, whatever it is. Um, but, you know, whereas fear is a survival instinct, we also have to make sure that's not being a controlling thing. It's not controlling us. So, like I said before, the bottom line is sin. Our own sin, the sin of others. The great promise of sin 
is that your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, as the serpent said. You'll be independent of God, self-sufficient in your own right. But that's not what sin really does, right? It doesn't do all of those things. That was a lie. It didn't actually make us like God. Instead, it made us afraid, right? Now we have sin, and that's the thing we actually saw was our sin. Oh, great. Now I've sinned, and now I see it, and now I'm afraid of exposure, knowing deep down inside that I am not good enough. Um, sin that leads us to reject others, and in that same sin, uh, we have fear that people will reject us because we know the truth about ourselves, and the truth isn't pretty. And it's sin that's underneath the harm we receive from others as they, to quote James 4, fight and quarrel because they desire and do not have. But this is so different from how the world sees it, right? The world would say that the basic problem here is just circumstances. Fear comes either because people need to treat us better or because we need to have a more optimistic view of ourselves, right? We need to boost up our self-esteem. You probably hear this all the time, right? Your fear just comes from the fact that you don't think highly of of yourself enough. But you'll see how wrong-headed this is. The solution for the fear of man is not to pretend that we are not sinful in a sinful world. Instead, it is to understand the goodness, the justice of God who ordains all things to happen to us. So how does that surface each of these categories? So fear of exposure, you know, and I, as I said, we, we all wear masks, right? This is the problem we all face. We fear of being exposed. We don't want people to see who we really are. So how does this, what does it look like, right? Remember, this is about being self-reflective, so see if this uh, sounds like you. First, we hide and cover like Adam and Eve after the fall. We have a spirit exposure that can be underneath a tendency to idolize uh, you know, what people think of us. Um, I'm trying to think of an example here, but the only one I can think of is when you go to work and your boss asks you to do something and say you don't have enough time, you're, you're te- you're, you wouldn't say no because you want a person to think highly of you, right? You don't want to be exposed as not being as good as your job or not having time or whatever it is, right? Um, there's something called... Uh, can't think of it for the life of me. Imposter syndrome? Has anyone heard of that? Imposter syndrome? Where if you are good at your job, you tend to think that you're not. Someone's going to find out who you are. <laughs> They're going to figure you out and then get fired. Which is like really, it's really a shame because the other one that goes with that is Dunning-Kruger, if you've heard of that one, which makes you think that you have an overinflated sense of how good you are right, when you're actually terrible. So you have these two people working at the same job. These people think that they're awesome. They have no problem, no problem with self-esteem, and they're terrible. And then this quiet person is doing all the hard work and thinking, man, I wish I could be confident like him, but I'm just, I'm not doing that well. And literally, they're doing all the work. It's, it's something that's, uh, it's, it's crazy. They've, cra- they've shown it happens in so many different workplaces. It's crazy. But the point is, is that the, a lot of people, if they're self-reflective, they're afraid of the things that they don't know right? They know that they don't know certain things, and they're afraid of those things. And that's, that's one aspect in, that uh, I think everyone can relate to, but then when we relate it to the Christian life and the gospel, we know instinctively, the Bible says it very clearly, that the world rejects the things of God, right? They hate the light because they know it will expose their deeds, so they hide in darkness, right? And they would kill the light, and they did kill the light. So, we ourselves know that we have this portion of light and we tend to want to put it under a basket, right? Well, let's not let this light get out too far, all right? I saw what happened to the big light 
and how they took care of him, right? So now I'm going to kind of hide my small light, but obviously Christ deals with that issue, and he says, no, you cannot put under a basket. It's a fire hazard, right? You've got to let the light shine. Second, we escape. So the first thing is we hide and cover, and second, we escape, right? Maybe we daydream. Um, we lose ourselves in the internet. Uh, we have a particular food habit we turn to. There's some way in which we uh, ignore the things we should do or ignore the things we, we know we have to go to. Or maybe we just kind of ignore the sin itself that we're hiding from, and we immerse ourselves in television, books, all these things that by themselves would be good things, but they're taking to an extreme in order to take our minds off the things that we're struggling with. Third, we seek to expose others. So if we can't have a defensive role of hiding or protecting ourselves or ignoring it, then we seek to expose others, right? The great irony is we often uh, find pleasure in seeing other people ex- un- uncovered and exposed. This is something I see on the internet a lot too, especially on Twitter, right? When someone that you don't like has something happen to them, right? Like, oh, they f- got found with this kind of, mem- uh, you know, uh, paraphernalia and they're going to go j- to prison or... You see, like, they said something, and then a video comes out, and it's the complete opposite of whatever. You're like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're going to jail now, buddy, right? It's like, we feel good about that. Uh, and, and since it's a twisted, like I said, a lot of these things are good, but taken to the wrong conclusions. In a sense, justice is a good thing, right? I don't want to say that we shouldn't desire for justice to be done and for people actually, for that, these things to come to light. But our desire is not necessarily for justice, but more of that punitive punishment for these people. Any, que- any questions or comments on any of that? Okay, moving on. So where do these tendencies show up? In private, you do things you're, you're embarrassed for other people to discover. At home, in close relationships, the closer you become to a person, the more you can fear that they will one day see you for who you are. So you could do the hide and cover, escape, right? Expose others. Those three things can still show up in these things, in private, at home, at work. When you have that gnawing fear that your boss will figure out that you're not as competent as they think, that can really show up when you fail at something, right? When you actually do fail, right? You, have, you can have an emotional response way bigger than seems necessary. It will even show up at church, right? We wear masks to impress others even here. We're so desperately afraid that we'll be unmasked because we think that it will make us lose some kind of position in the church of some sort, right? Uh, we were talking about this at Bible study that um, we, were, we were asking the question about why Protestant churches have a very compressed hierarchy and why the Catholic Church has this really very large hierarchy, right? You have the Pope, you have the Council of Elders, kind of like the Cardinals, right? Like his, his council. And then from there, as I understand it, you have bishops that are like regional and then you have priests that are local, right? So you have a local priest, but they have to go to a bishop, which is kind of like a regional manager. And then you can go up higher from that. There's probably some more middle managers I'm missing because I'm not su- super familiar with it. But we ask ourselves, why aren't we like that? Why wouldn't we have this, this hierarchy? And the Bible doesn't, doesn't command it. it. Like Ed was saying last uh, Sunday, it's the, the pastors, the elders, the overseers, the same term is used interchangeably in the New Testament. Clearly, there is a leadership, but that leadership doesn't have a hierarchy on top of it. But even then, we still have some kind of hierarchy. What does this mean? People that are in the role of the deacon People in the role of the elder, especially when you look at the list of requirements and how they need to run their household and how they have to act, it can be, it can be uh, not just a high calling, but also something that makes us think that they need to hide who they really are because they can't have any sin. 
but that's impossible, right? They're not perfect. So where, to balance that is very difficult for them to say, okay, I am struggling with these sins. Does that disqualify me? Where does that line, you know, go? Where, 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 when do I have to stop being a deacon or elder to take care of this issue before I come back, you know? The New Testament has this idea of reconciliation and, and reinstatement and forgiveness. So it's not like a lot of these things can be, are permanent, although some are, but because of this complexity and the fact that every church kind of has to figure it out one-on-one and individually, it can create a lot of anxiety and fear for people that have positions of authority. So what's the answer to this, this fear of exposure? The answer begins with the bad news that God knows everything, right? We can hide from other people, but we can't hide from God. But, uh, and Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And yet that same God takes away our sin and our shame. Hebrews 10, 12. Unlike the priests of the Old Testament who were merely covered over the sins of God's people, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. By trusting in Christ, he doesn't provide mere covering for our shame. He takes it on himself and away from us. So that's the good news, right? Believe that. That even though you might have this sin and this shame, Christ takes away all of that. When he died for us, he did not die for us when we were good people, right? Because we weren't born yet. He saw our whole lives, and he died for our entire life of sin. Even the sins you have yet to commit, right? That's an amazing thing. Like I said last week, when you see the, the forgiveness and the grace of God, it seems like lawlessness, right? It seems so gracious, so ridiculously abundant that people look at it, and what do they say to Paul? Well, then should we just keep sinning, right? Because their idea is like, wait, it's that, it's that big? It's that grand? It's that all-encompassing? You know, um, R.C. Sproul once famously said, you'll, you'll get to heaven, you'll be surprised who's there. You're like, that guy? <laughs> and he'll look at you and go, that guy? <laughs> right? We'll all have that. But yet, that is what we need to rest in. We need to rest in this idea that even though we might be afraid to be exposed because of our shame, Christ has forgiven us. Next one, we fear for rejection. Any, any questions about exposure or any thoughts or comments before we move on to it? to rejection? No? Oh, we were, we were just on fear of reject. Oh, I'm sorry, fear of exposure. I wanted to say, are we, um, we're now on fear of rejection. I just want to make sure we didn't have any comments or any questions. Okay, so rejection, we, this is the easiest one, I think, more so than exposure for me when I was thinking about what do I fear. Rejection is the, is more easily the thing that I think most of us struggle with because we can be rejected for almost anything, right? Our personality, our education, our job title, our socioeconomic position, our gender, our race, our experiences, our relationships, right? Who you hang out with. Um, it, it, there's so many things that people can be discriminatory about, right? They can see certain things about you and they think that you, uh, you're not as good as them for various reasons. Uh, one part that kind of blew my mind was I was on the street one time, Fremont Street. I was talking to this person, uh, the homeless person, and I was telling them the gospel. And they were like, well, God loves me more because I'm poor. I don't have all these worldly materialistic things that like you do. And I said, well, I'm out here talking to you. So I, I think that I'm trying to reject those things to spend my time like, you know, talking to you. Not that I'm better than you, but I mean, I don't think that God sees one of us better than the other. I think he's, he's like, oh no, God loves the poor more than anyone else. And that kind of was, was a mind blowing thing. And I was like, wow, pride really can, can stretch to know every single person, no matter what happens, right? They it, they, it can dig down and that person then can have a, a discriminatory idea about 
me because I have means. It's, it's one of those, it's like, wow, okay. And it's kind of funny to then have to say, don't you see that's a sin? This idea that you're treating me differently because of the way that God's blessed me? Because it's not me, it's, you know, obviously God gives us different positions. So this fear of rejection is manifested by this overwhelming desire of approval, either from God. Do you like me, God, because I'm not like that guy? fill in the blank, whatever it is? Or is it something that I did, right? I worked really hard and so now you approve of me? And it's not just God, it's other people, right? I want this, the, all the people to like me. I want to have like, you know, just the, the group of people at my funeral, everyone surrounding me and everyone saying he was the greatest of guys, right? Um, and so we are, how does this show up? It shows for looking for compliments, right? We put ourselves down, hoping people will disagree and bring us up. We try to keep on conversations or topics where we'll be complimented for our skills. We want to talk about the things we're good at, right? We praise others, hoping that we'll create this reciprocation, right? Proverbs 25, 27 says, It is not good to eat much honey, nor is glory to search out one's own glory. And yet we do that. We seek out our own glory. Perfectionism, right? How much of you being overwhelmed, overextended, or busy comes from perfectionism, trying to be perfect, trying to have everything correct. And this can extend to anything. You know, you want people to come in and see that your work is perfect at, at your job, or you want people to walk into your house and see everything is put into order, right? Um, or, you know, you raise your children in such a way that they will, um, not because it's the right thing to do, to raise them correctly, but rather so people will look at your children and say, wow, you're a great parent. They're so well behaved and they're complimenting you on your technique. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We should do that, right? This is the problem, is that sin is so insidious because these are good things, like I said, that can be good in certain situations, but then when our minds twist it and we turn it into pride and, and it becomes perfectionism, and then we start becoming, uh, I can't remember the passage where it says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children, right? And this is where I think it comes from, is this, you have to be perfect because they're thinking about me through you, right? And now the kids don't get a chance to mess up or make mistakes or learn, and they're exasperated. Going along with the crowd, the crowd doesn't have to be large, but what we do is we are afraid of rejection, so we disagree with the group. Uh, mob mentality. Sometimes it's not so so much teenage peer pressure as a desire to be part of some kind of inner circle. So you're sitting with a group of people, you agree 99% with what they say, right? If it's conservatives or if you're liberal, whatever it is, right? You're in your group of people, someone makes some political statement that's a little too far, now they're starting to sound crazy, right? And you're like, I'm gonna let it slide. Yeah, I'm 99% with this. And once again, I'm not saying this is wrong, I'm saying that it starts modifying your behavior, right? The more that happens, the more you're afraid to get out of that crowd, and now you don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, yeah, I'll poke the bear a little bit. One thing I've, I've struggled with is this idea that how far do you agree with the church, right, before you have to leave, right? That's always the question that we have. Now, I'm not talking about, like, the joke that Rollo always says, like, the color of the carpet or, like, if we have projectors or not. I'm talking about, like, pedo-baptism. You're in a church, you're in a, in a society there's, like, no Baptist churches, all you have is, you know, Presbyterian churches. Do you go to the church and just kind of hold your nose, right? Oh, they're baptizing infants. Um, or, you know, you're in a, in a place where 
you know, they don't agree with musical instruments and it drives you crazy or something, I don't know. Um, or the other way around, right? Some people are really hung up on this idea of the regulatory principle, the idea that we don't use instruments in music. Um, or well, let's say how we protect the Lord's table, right? There are some places that just let everyone have it, and then there's the people that say, no, it's only for registered members of the church. Our church takes a kind of a do what your conscience will, right? Make it a choice for yourself. I think that's the right choice. But we have to be careful that we're not also compromising on things that really are non-compromisable things. And that, once again, is something that is between you and God because there's every division under the sun under, under that aspect. There's a sense in which peace, you know, being peaceful with brothers as much as possible is also a command. Not sharing the gospel, this is the big one, right? Fear of rejection is not sharing the gospel because we love our friends and we love our family in the sense that we love the relationship we have with them, right? Because love is doing what's best for a person, right? That's my, that's my quick definition of it, is if you want to know what love is, it's just doing what's best for a person. It has less to do with the squishy emotions, which will come later, and they should. We're emotional creatures. You should have a good emotional response to doing what's right. But when a kid says, I hate you, why are you doing this to me? I don't want to be punished for this thing. You have to push past that and not care about them liking you more than doing what's right for them, right? In the same, in the same sense, when you tell someone the gospel, even though you know they're going to be mad at you or they may not talk to you anymore, they need to hear it. And so your desire to be accepted by this friend, this family member, this person you care about, can be stronger than the desire to tell them the gospel. But that's obviously misordered. We need to do what's right for them. You can have a perfect relationship with this person, fill in the blank, you know who it is, for your whole life, and then they die and they go to hell, right? And I think it, we were talking about this last week. Ezekiel says, you know, if you know what you should do and you don't warn them, their blood is on your hands. That's, that's the, uh, the command of Scripture, which is a scary thing when you think about it, the commands for us to tell people the gospel, especially when you think about the passages that are really hard where it says, unless you hate mother and father, you cannot come after me, right? Jesus uses this very strong uh, command to say that our desire has to be for God. Our fear of the Lord needs to be stronger than anything. Um, James White tells a story I can't remember where it is now. I think it's in Deuteronomy. I should have looked it up. But there's a passage in the, in the scripture where it talks about, let's see if I can look it up, actually, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to misquote it, and then it won't be as powerful. Um, I'm not going to find it quickly. It's in Deuteronomy. There's a part where it says that if there is a person that you love, a parent, spouse, or a friend that's closer than a brother, and they come to you in private and they tell you, let's go after other gods, right? You're supposed to then go and tell the elders, right? And if, uh, I'm assuming, other people could hear this because obviously you can't condemn a person under, unless it's two or three witnesses. But a lot of these people lived in tents. They lived in family environments, right? So your command is to go and tell the elders. But what's the penalty for idolatry in the Old Testament? Death. So you're having to go and tell them which will cause the death of your parent or your spouse or the person that's closer than a brother. 
That is a high command. I don't know many people that could do that. And yet, it's shown as a good thing. And there's a lot of reasons for that. In the Old Testament, they didn't have prisons. They didn't have places to go. Everyone took resources. So you can't have idolaters and people that are kind of passing this virus through the entire of all of Israel, right? In a sense, when you look at the greater picture, it is better for that person to not be infecting everyone with this idea of idolatry, right? But at the same time, you're that person in that moment. Do you love God or do you love this person more than God, right? It's a high calling. And when we see these passages, it makes us realize that when we talked about those things in the beginning, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood, right? Um, that we really, we really have to make this decision. We have to make the decision in our, own, in our own hearts and our own minds, especially in this abundant culture that we're in where everything's easy, right? We have to say, are we going to love and serve God more than man? I'm saying this to myself too. This is not like I have this figured out. This is, I read that passage and I, I think, I don't know if I could do that, right? Lord, help me in my unbelief because I wish I believed that much. Passivity in relationships is another indicator of fear. We wait for others to initiate with us, right? Oh, well, I'll just act good and I'll hope that they'll ask me about, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, you seem different from other people. You know, the whole softball question they tell us in Sunday school or in uh, VBS, right? That happens sometimes. It's happened to me, but it doesn't happen a lot. Or maybe you're a member of this church and you do certain things, say certain things, or spend time with certain people because you believe those things will be necessary uh, to be a good member in the eyes of others. Or do you do good works for God or for man? And like I said, let's pray for a heart that desires obedience for love of God rather than a heart that fears rejection and desires the approval of man. So the fear of rejection hurts us. The fear of rejection can really hurt us. I don't want to minimize that, right? It enslaves us to others. Being a people pleaser is like having a little hand on your back that others can grab hold of to push you and pull you in various directions, right? If you want to please people, you can be guided. Love for praise actually undermines our receiving it. Those from who you long to receive honor and those whom you desire to impress will eventually be, will eventually be offended by the pride that generates. So it's a, it's, a, it's a circle, right? Where if you desire the approval and the love of people, through that, your pride will grow and you will desire more, which will then turn off people because you're like, wow, this person's really prideful and arrogant. So it, it basically crafts its own demise. And if we are seeking, uh, if, we, if we are afraid more of rejection than anything else, we will forego heavenly rewards, it will bind us to our own sin, and it will make us susceptible to flattery and deceit. It will cause us to be more susceptible to other sins like hypocrisy, discontentment, greed, um, being unteachable, being indecisive. It will take a physical and a psychological toll, right? Um, if anyone's ever had a lot of stress in their lives because of things that are happening, you know it can cause you stomach problems, right? Stress, high blood pressure, headaches, depression, mood strings. We are, we are not just a brain that has like, how did my friend describe it? He, he was like, oh, I'm just a brain in like a meat mech, you know, like a, a giant robot. And I'm just animating myself. That's not true. God has made us physiologically and mentally connected, right? In, in a way where even if we don't think we're stressed, our body has a physiological response to the stresses in our lives, right? We can have severe headaches and you go to the doctor and you're like, I'm having these headaches nonstop. 
This happened to me. And he's like, what, what's happened in your life? I'm like, well, not a whole lot. I'm feeling pretty good. My job's good. And he's like, well, what about your personal life? I'm like, well, I'm buying a house and my wife's pregnant. And, uh, and like, I started listening to all these things. He's like, you're just stressed. Um, you know, do some deep breathing exercises and take some, you know, these anti-headache medication. And, you know, once you get past this part, it'll be fine. So the stresses of the fears that live with us will have physiological uh, tolls. But here's the good news, that we are not alone. Jesus was rejected, right? To be honest, we are going to be rejected in the same way that Jesus was rejected. He was despised and rejected by men, Isaiah 53. And he is able to fully empathize with our own rejection in Hebrews 4. But because of his rejection, we are accepted by God, Ephesians 2. So you'll notice that the solution is always the same thing. It's the gospel. Telling the gospel to yourself. And instead of fearing people because of this non-acceptance that you're going to receive, turning towards God and realizing that he accepts you, faults and all. And he's going to craft you to be closer to the image of Christ. So any other questions or comments on that one before we move on to the last one? Yes, brother. When it comes to rejection, I remember at physical therapy, uh, I've had definitely a fear of rejection, but the PTs and the PTAs uh, would say and everything. And I remember earlier uh, last week, uh, I was sharing the gospel with someone, and when I got to the part about hell, uh, she switched the topic. And I was thinking, also, well, maybe I'll do it about some other time. Uh, little did I know I was going to get discharged that day. Mm. Uh, but like I, I powered through that part and I said, and I eventually was like, well, you heard the bad news, but you hear the good news. And, and to my surprise, she actually apologized and let me uh, finish sharing and all these things. So as well as things for like, sometimes like the time to share is now because you don't know when, uh, when the next, if there is going to be a next time. And sometimes like, yeah, there's oftentimes wisdom and not throwing one's pearls before swine, so to speak. But like at the same time, uh, being cognizant of the time of the fact that time is limited, and also that uh, uh, sometimes like the big pushback that one thinks is there is not really there. Mm-hmm. There's there's miscommunication going on and stuff like that. So I thought that sharing that might be helpful. Yeah, I mean, did everyone hear that? Yeah. It was, it was really helpful. That's, that, and that's been my own experience too, the same kind of thing where the, the pushback that you think is gonna be there is not actually as strong as you thought it was. And the opposite is true sometimes too. You think this person's very open to the gospel and then you tell them and they kind of blow up and you realize there's all this stuff in their life that is not, you know, you didn't expect it. So uh, I think it was Douglas Wilson that said this. Uh, I, I shared it the first week because I thought it was so funny and it was, uh, you know, you would never go to your homeowner's insurance and say, I don't need home insurance. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, don't worry, my ho- nothing will happen in my house. I worry about it all the time. So, you know, clearly it's protected, right? It's like, no, of course not. We wor- that's why Jesus says, don't be anxious about tomorrow because the wor- today has enough trouble for itself, right? By worrying about the future, you can't predict the future, right? The future by its very nature is unpredictable. So the thing that you think is going to happen you'll never be prepared for it, right? Uh, I was listening to a, a, a book and it was saying like, it was talking about this unpredictability and it was saying, you know, if you took the New York Times and you read the past 100 issues in the New York Times, does that give you any insight into what the next issue of the New York Times will be? 
No, of course not, right? The future is unwritten by its very nature, and it's unpredictable. So people always look back, and when you think about investors and bankings, they're always looking back to the last, like, 40 years. This is an unprecedented event. Well, of course it is, right? Because the point is it's not going to continue all the way the same way it's always been, right? Every single event we had, right, 9-11, stock market exchange blowing up, the housing bubble, they're all unprecedented events. But of course, because, right, we by the nature of the future and the things that happen, we can't be prepared for it. In the same way when we're talking about gospel presentation, same thing happens, right? We'll build these things up in our mind. It'll be bigger or less than we think it's going to be. But having a preconceived expectation, the only thing we can do is prepare our own hearts and our own minds to be self-controlled, sober, right? Uh, as it says, we must be able to correct our opponents with gentleness, hoping that the Holy Spirit will bring them a knowledge of the truth, right? So, any other comments about rejection before we move on? Got a little bit of time left. We can squeeze this last one in. Okay, last one, physical harm. This is the most difficult uh, one to talk about because obviously this will, uh, this will be very personal for a lot of people. But, uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that in the sinful and fallen world, difficult and painful physical harm takes place in the family, right? It can happen between spouses, parents and children, uh, other family relationships, and physical harm in this context can cause some of the most difficult struggles post that event, right? Because now we have all the PTSD surrounding that, right? Uh, the moments of thinking what that happens, being afraid of other people. And it can be either, like I said, either physical or non-physical. It can be uh, mental uh, abuse or, you know, um, what's it called? Nonverbal or I can't remember the name of it. But the point is, is that here in this situation, like your family unit, which is supposed to be characterized by the highest levels, ideally, of trust, love, and vulnerability, now that's been broken, right? Now, and this can cause issues throughout your entire life. Um, another one that we can see, another physical harm that we can suffer from is bullying, right? This happens to a lot of children, right? Um, some people think of it just as an innocuous part of childhood. This just happens to people. But even in how we instruct our children in dealing with other physically violent children, we can teach them to fear the Lord more than other people. It's, it's difficult, but it's something that can be taught. Those who have served or are serving in the military or police force or security forces may fear physical harm. Persecution or physical suffering for the gospel is another common fear. We're afraid to go to certain parts of the world or certain places because of the fear of physical harm. Terrorism. In a world where terror attacks are increasingly frequent and well-publicized, this can also be paralyzing, right? There is, um, it's something that I think is, is interesting because you see it happen a lot more in other places. And so in, in the America-centric problem that we have, we think it never affects us. Um, but the fact is we should be praying for those people in India and China who undergo, undergo severe uh, persecution for the gospel. Um, of course, racism, right? We, we are fearing of people being uh, attacking us not for just what we're saying, but for all of the various things that we talked about before, the various uh, ways of discriminating a person, right? From our background, our ethnic background, um, skin color. Um, do we carry ourselves with a certain amount of wealth? And we think people will judge us for that. Physical harm is the only fear we have to grapple with. There's all the fear of non-physical harm, right? Verbal abuse, things like that. 
Fortunately, sexual abuse is a big problem in our society, something that's covered up even in uh, the Catholic Church. And I would say, you know, let's not deny ourselves. It, there's people that sneak into Protestant churches as well. And we need to be honest about those situations, and we need to be stronger than the world would be in terms of cutting them out of our lives. That's the problem that we were talking about that in, in Bible study. Um, the strongest condemnation is, I think it's in First Corinthians, where it says if a person bears the name brother and they have sexual sin in their lives, you do not even eat with such a one. Cut them out. Do not, do not think this is a matter of being like, oh, well, I need to be kind to them. Now, unless they have complete and utter repentance, do not talk to them or, or speak to them. That's a very serious thing. But how does this fear of harm reject, affect us? Well, it, like I said, it has this, this thing that lives with us. We can have a perpetual sense of being a victim, so it can live with us and weaken us, so that we never think we can do anything with our lives. We can feel like we have a lesser sense of the gifts that God's given us and that we, don't, we deserve the hurt that I've received because I'm a bad person, right? And so you never move past that. You, never, you can never find forgiveness in Christ. You can never find the ability to forgive someone else. And so you're just living in this cycle of self-pity or victimhood or whatever it is. And I'm not saying this is something you should do by yourself. That's the whole point, right? We have the church so that way you can listen to the word meet with other believers, and understand that everyone has an aspect of the sin in different people's lives, right? We, once again, we all hide ourselves behind the mirror or the, the illusion that we're all perfect, but every person has some combination of all of these things in their lives. That's the terrible thing, right? We act like this world is perfect and we want to live here forever when this world is full of sins like this, even in our own families and our lives in the church. I'm not saying that it's all horrible, right? Thank God that he gives us blessings in our lives and joy even in the small moments with the people that we love. But we have to realize that the, even though we're in a high situation, in some situations, we have valleys too. We have peaks and valleys. And those valleys are the times when sin is coming into our lives. And we may not understand those situations, but we know the Lord is using it for some kind of good purpose. To craft us more in the image of Christ, to teach us something, to make us love the Lord more. So, any last questions or comments before we close? that just because uh, you were a little quiet. So uh, what our sister was saying was that we need to be, we have to realize that just preserving ourselves, both mentally and physically, it can be an idol, right? We, we rely not only just surviving in our society, but also if we went to other countries, we'd be afraid to preach the gospel in its full strength and power because of the physical harm that can happen to us. But we need to rely on God's sovereignty. He's in control of all things. He knows all things. And so he will provide whatever means it is. And if we die for the gospel, then so be it. Um, that is also something I think that the Lord is ordains to uh, show the world that they're not worthy of Christians. Not that we're special, but you know what I mean. Like, um, we were, we were li willing to go to those places and, and preach the gospel in that situation, even though the, the threat of physical harm was real. 
Okay, let's uh, close in prayer then. And um, sorry, we just ran out of time. There's a little bit more, but um, if you have more questions about the last aspect, I have uh, a couple of more things on that. So uh, I can give you my notes. Father, I thank you for this difficult lesson. It's a hard thing um, to hear about the fears that we struggle with and to think about our own fears, the things holding us back um, in our relationships with our family and our friends. Um, It also feels a little bit... uh, painful and self-reflecting way because I also deal with the same issues. Lord, you know each thing that each person's dealing with, and as we've gone through this lesson, hopefully they've brought that to mind, they've written it down, and they're going to pray to you. But I pray for each person here that whoever has done that, whoever has a fear in their mind that they're struggling with, I pray that you would give them a a scripture, an encouragement, a person to pray with. Um, I pray that that there'd be some kind of means in this church for them to be encouraged and be built up and to overcome that fear and not to be uh, paralyzed by the fear of rejection or harm or exposure, but rather we would fear you and we would know that you have commanded us to preach the gospel to every person. And we would take that um, with greater weight and importance and that we would love you more than we love the world. We're constantly uh, preserving our own lives and our own livelihood And in a sense, that's wise in certain situations, but I pray that we wouldn't always uh, fall back into um, fear or fall back into self-preservation, Lord, but we would really seek to uh, seek the moment. The moment is now. The moment is now to preach the gospel, to tell others about the truth, and to help them see that before we lose them. Pray that you would give each person a portion of bravery and courage and grit, and that we would tell those whom we love about the gospel. Thank you again for all the good gifts you've given us. It's more than we deserve. Forgive us our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.